Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, Executive Director of EdSource. COVID accelerated California's enrollment decline in many school districts as families that lost jobs decided to move to other regions or out of the state in search of cheaper housing. The state responded by shielding school districts from revenue losses stemming from declines in enrollment and disruptions in attendance. School budgets these last two years have been funded at pre-pandemic attendance levels. As the state emerges from the pandemic, how should public schools be funded at a time when state demographers project a further enrollment drop by 2030? Our students can no longer wait. Our students can no longer wait for appropriate funding or staffing or resources. Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. The COVID-19 pandemic is bringing down student attendance in school districts across the state. In our district, student attendance dropped from an average of 94.12% all the way down to 80% per day just in the month of January because of the Omicron variant. Gina Potter is the superintendent of San Isidro School District. We issued so many independent study contracts only to realize that the students were sick at home or their parent was sick at home and how were they going to complete these independent study contracts to recoup the ADA attendance and to also, more importantly, ensure that we didn't have learning loss. Um, it, It just was absolutely devastating. This year, the state is funding districts based on their attendance pre-pandemic. But Potter is worried about what will happen next year. What does that mean in terms of dollars? If school districts in the state of California don't receive some type of COVID attendance relief for this year's COVID losses, my district with just seven schools will realize a fiscal loss of $1.7 million. The attendance-based funding formula especially affects districts with more low-income students, students in foster care and homeless students, who all have a harder time getting to school every day. In San Isidro, Potter says between 25 and 30 percent of students have unstable housing. And I'm saying to these students who are moving from car to car or who are house hopping and couch hopping between homes of relatives and friends, you have to be at school every day. And if you're not at school every day, you're going to have to attend a student advisory review board meeting. I have to say that that's not the system in California that provides a system of support for these families that are so vulnerable and who really need support and they don't need penalties. These are the very children that need more resources for not only the social emotional learning, but for food and shelters so that they can have a more stable home life. And they're not always struggling to figure out where they're going to live from day to day. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, should school funding be tied to how many students are enrolled in each district or how many students attend class? My colleague John Fensterwald has been following this issue and recently moderated a roundtable discussion about declining enrollment and declining attendance. The voices of our other guests were recorded during that roundtable. Hi, John. Hey, Zadie. So this is sort of a confusing issue because it's both enrollment is declining statewide, but at the same time, we also have attendance declining. And so the idea of like how to solve it and what's really going on is sort of a puzzle in a way. Help us understand what's what's happening. 
It is because the two issues are related. We record attendance every day, but attendance is based on enrollment. And so if enrollment is dropping, then attendance will drop proportionally. Only with the pandemic, we've just had uh, lots of absences. Chronic absenteeism has risen. And then just daily quarantines and sickness and worry about masking. It's been significant decline in attendance for the last two years. And so we've understood that. And the legislature has said, well, we'll count your percentage of attendance before the pandemic. But next year, we go back to, quote, normal, and it's based on the data that we've collected this year. So next year, we've got to solve something because we're facing a major, major drop in both enrollment and attendance, and they work together. How big is the decline in enrollment? And, right. you know, and how does it vary by region? Because I know it, it is different in, in different regions or counties. Right. Well, pre-pandemic, for the past 20 years, enrollment overall in California has been stable, about 6 million students, give or take 100,000. But within the state, there's been significant shifts in regions, particularly Los Angeles County and Orange County. L.A. County has dropped up to 20% over the past 20 years and, and significant double digit also in Orange County, I believe. But there are parts of California where there's been a shift in population as people have moved to where it's more affordable. In the greater Sacramento area, the cartographers call it, it's risen 20% or somewhere between 16 and 26% if you include the other regions that have risen. Did the pandemic affect the numbers in some way? Yes, the pandemic was a huge shift the first year, 2021, about 3% in one year, which is a lot. And we don't know what the drop will be next year, this coming year, from 21-22. Those figures will be out within a couple weeks. But the first year was mainly in, in young kids, kindergarten and first grade. So we don't know whether those students, parents just you know, remote learning wasn't for them, so they didn't even enroll their kids. We don't know whether those children are coming back, whether they came back this year, which we'll see in the enrollment figures, or whether there was a further decline. Could be. I think the initial impact is that no, not all the students returned. And then for this year, we don't yet have the enrollment numbers, but we do have average daily attendance numbers for the fall. And then there was a loss of students in the fall for attendance? Yeah. Again, it's that mix of attendance and enrollment. We don't know which proportion was which, but it was about 9%. That's significant. So if you think of it that the average school in California, kids show up 95% of the time. So if you drop that, we're talking about 86%. That's significant. I, we've never had that kind of drop. So that, again, presents all kinds of problems. Is it long-term? Is it short-term? Um, what are the impact on closing schools in the future? And mainly, what's the impact on funding? Because we base funding on average daily attendance so far. John, let's talk about the idea of switching the funding formula from attendance to enrollment. I know the Research Nonprofit Policy Analysis for California Education published a report recently about the advantages and the disadvantages of switching to funding by enrollment. What did that report find? Yeah, well, California is only one of six states that, in fact, bases their funding on average daily attendance. Most states do it on enrollment. So Carrie Hanel looked at that and said, well, what are the advantages, disadvantages? Well, one of the advantages is that it's an incentive to go out and reach out and make sure kids attend because your funding is based on that. At the same time, 
Most of the districts with lower attendance are those districts with higher percentages of low-income kids and foster kids and homeless kids. Their home situations often prevent kids from showing up every day. Erin Simon is Assistant Superintendent of School Support Services at Long Beach Unified. She says tying funding to attendance means that districts with higher proportions of students from low-income families are receiving less money for a population that actually needs more support and resources. Our students can no longer wait. Our students can no longer wait for appropriate funding or staffing or resources, right, that's going to help them move forward and thrive. We have a, a large population as well, homeless, right, foster. OSES, our percentage is around, you know, 65%, right? So there's a lot of need. When you think about that additional money and what you can do with it, right? The necessary staff that can be inside the school instead of within a community agency, those social workers, those counselors, those mental health professionals, right? All those things can be embedded, even in a community school model where you have nurses um, and agencies to support students in that way. Simon says it's time to change the funding model to base it on enrollment. Gina Potter, the superintendent from San Isidro, agrees. When I look at it, is it okay for us to continue an attendance funding model that dates back to 1911? Um, I don't know. I think we have a rare opportunity right now with the boom in state revenues to address this in a meaningful way. And I do think that there are many positives to bringing fiscal stability to school districts, to providing greater local control, um, and really to looking at, is it okay for us to prioritize attendance as a state over student and public health concerns. John, would switching to an enrollment-based funding formula cost the state more? Yeah, it would cost more because you're funding 100% attendance. And so it's a difference between that average 95 and 100% or about $3.5 billion more per year. Now, this is not money that would come out of the general fund. It would come out of the state's portion of money that goes to education. So it would be a shifting of money, not new money for districts. So the total amount of money that the state is going to put towards schools doesn't change. It just changes how it would distribute that money. Exactly. Okay. So one of the big issues here is that if we switch to enrollment-based funding, how do we incentivize attendance, right? Yeah. If you don't have that incentive for attendance, then you've got to come up with other methods to induce districts to make sure their kids show up at school because that's the basis for achievement. If you can't get kids to school from the start, then you're not going to increase achievement and for the kids' sake. Yeah, and I know there were um, some solutions that school districts have come up with. Can you tell me a little bit about those solutions? Right, well, Long Beach, for example, is as a program. It has about two dozen schools and it's very successful in reaching out and encouraging parents to attend. It does porch visits to to families and it reaches out to families as soon as they enroll and engages them and when you and and when you walk into the office you know you get a whole different sense of greeting here's Aaron Simon again from Long Beach Unified it was very important for us to ensure that we had relationships and it also taught us who we built trusting relationships with right because those were the families who are continuing to connect with us and have conversations with us as well 
Uh, we worked on having orientations or virtual school tours. We had personalized calls. Many of our principals were text messaging uh, many of our families. Uh, we had positive messaging on campus and then easily accessible information for our families at our school. When we talk about our outreach efforts and opportunities, right, for students, those weekly individual check-ins, peer check-ins, mentoring, um, which we know based on research can be very effective. Um, porch visits, we still canvas and went to communities and had conversations with our families. Um, those virtual in-person check-ins with staff, those parent groups um, with our communities, canvassing the community. We have to understand the communities that we serve if we're going to help them appropriately. Community schools have a record of increasing attendance and I think Long Beach plans to expand that. Another approach, which is enrollment based, it's interesting, there's San Juan Unified. When you think of homeschooling, you usually think of parents pulling out of the public schools and going on their own or going to a charter school that has agreements with homeschool parents. In this case, San Juan says, no, you know, there are ways that you should stay in the district and we'll supervise the parents. You can use our curriculum. You'll check in with our teachers. I think it's a viable option for district to consider. Holly Sabolsky is director of elementary and K-8 schools at San Juan Unified near Sacramento. We pair families with um, a teacher that checks in on them and helps them lesson plan, helps them pace, um, is very much a partner in the process. But the teachers um, are not the primary teachers. It is the parents at home. So it's definitely a partnership and it's a true village. Um, we do operate under the independent study legislature. So that's how we, so there is opportunity for daily interaction with their teachers. And then there's also time with office hours and there's time with synchronous instructions. So there's a lot of different ways for them to interact with their teacher on a daily basis. Um, but they do get individualized attention with their teacher once every two weeks or so. Yeah. So how big is it? How big is this program in your district? Pre-COVID, our program was at about 75 students, so it was pretty teeny tiny. Um, and then within COVID hitting, we exploded up to 875 students. And so that was quite the adjustment for our program. And now we're sitting down in the 200 range. Do you see it growing after the pandemic or is it just a pandemic spike? I think we're going to hover around this 200 range. We do have families who are still very worried about vaccine mandates. They're still very worried about masks one way or another. Right. Um, and then we, we also have families who have just found that this is a really wonderful way for them to experience school with their students and then still be able to partner with our school district. Suppose they change their minds. Can they go back to a district school? Yes. And in fact, we this year have been able to retain their seats for them at their preferred school of enrollment. We are a district of choice. And so we um, families are able to choose which school they attend. And mm -hmm. we have been able to save their seats for them at their schools. And so there has been a really lovely, seamless transition in and out of our programs as families see fit. And the other thing which a number of districts explored, and that's what Gina Potter talked about in San Ysidro, is starting a virtual academy, which is different from homeschooling. It's actually a school online in a much stronger and better form than we had during remote learning. Kids actually attend together as a class, and they're taught at home. They're taught synchronously, live 
instruction with a teacher and it's a program where teachers are actually very skilled and they volunteer to teach it. That's a virtual academy. A number of districts do that and I think that will be an option moving ahead which showed us in fact how to do it well and many districts will embrace that opportunity. Now, keep in mind, I mean it is on the margins but when we're talking about 8% drop in attendance or enrollment, that's a significant amount of money for districts. But the reality, uh, Zadie, is that a 9% decline in enrollment in the state is significant and districts will have to prepare and adjust and reduce their workforce and look for other creative solutions and perhaps close some schools as difficult as those discussions are because that's the reality that that the state faces if these projections are correct. Okay. Um, Do you have any closing comments, John? It's going to be difficult decision for the legislature as it tries to decide what's the best way to fund and working ahead how to pad this both drop in enrollment and try and boost attendance. But it's what people have been warning about for years, a fiscal cliff, when the protection that we've had for the last two years for under COVID, where we've been held harmless for drops in attendance, suddenly changes. It is going to be a reality that districts have to deal with. Thank you so much, John. Pleasure to be on here, Zadie. You can watch our roundtable on declining enrollment and also find a map developed by our data team at edsource.org. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools, a production of EdSource. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Holly Sibolsky, Gina Potter, Aaron Simon, and John Fensterwald. Our roundtable team, Andrew Reed and Smita Patel, and our director, Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join me next week and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.